Welcome to Season 2 of I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Caraview. For Season 2, my guest hosts chose the record, and I'll be honest, sometimes I do not fucking love it. However, I did fucking love talking to each and every one of them about their choice. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Trying to stay in one piece, we will be discussing Disintegration, the eighth studio album by The Cure. It was released on May 2nd, 1989 by Fiction Records. The record was co-produced by David M. Allen. Disintegration charted at number three in the United Kingdom and at number 12 in the United States. It remains The Cure's highest selling record to date. And now on Candy Striped Legs is a man I almost believe is real. He is a science writer, editor, and one R. Derek, who is indirectly responsible for four Polish-American children that he knows about. He blogs at partnerandally.com. Derek Victor, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here again. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, this is the second time we're recording this exact show because I lost my half of the uh, conversation. So I appreciate you uh, taking your time to, uh, to do this all over again. I wouldn't do it if I didn't fucking love this record. <laughs> well, that's good to know. That's yeah, hey, that's the name of the show. What a coincidence. All right. So this album that you fucking love, how did it enter your life, Derek? I was about 15 when this came out. So because it was 1989, so we're 15, 16, that age range. And I was aware of The Cure because... Uh, some of their music had kind of been in the charts in previous years. So singles from Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. And I think ja Japanese Whispers or In Between Days, the, that kind of era of, of The Cure was out there. And it hadn't spoken to me at all. I hadn't enjoyed it. Um, I didn't like Why Can't I Be You or Hot, Hot, Hot. They They just didn't connect with me at the age I was when they came out. When Disintegration came out, I remember hearing it at an event in school. Someone was playing some of the songs and something about the lyrics just grabbed me. And then I was asking someone about like, what is this album? Who is this band? And they said The Cure and I thought they must be wrong because this this sound and these lyrics didn't didn't connect for me with what I thought the cure was. But then when I when I sought out the album, I became a total convert, had to have all their other albums, went back, got their whole back catalog and just um, realized that I could have connected with this music all along or Maybe I needed to be that age in that moment of my life, but that was that was how it happened. Okay, so it's funny because we have a vaguely vaguely similar story. Because uh, I was also I was aware of the Cure for some time, but I don't remember actually hearing anything by them. The first song I remember hearing from them was "Why Can't I Be You," which I found insanely catchy. I really liked it. And the thing is, I was into metal at the time. And I had mentioned to a friend who was into a lot of different stuff that I liked that song. 
And inst- I thought, you know, he may kind of encourage this line of thinking or something, but instead he proceeded to badmouth the track. And I just kind of slid them right back into the slot of mopey guys I don't like because they aren't heavy, even though I did not listen to any of their other stuff. <laughs> uh, 1980s Derek care of you. He was a, he was a, he was a gem, that guy. Uh, and then uh, a local webzine published a piece in, I think it was 2001, on great music from the 80s that I had read, and it mentioned pornography. Uh, and this is during a time when I was trying to visit some things that I had previously avoided. And I was at my favorite record store. I saw Disintegration in the used bin, and I picked it up forgetting that I was looking for a different record. Uh, and I ended up really enjoying it. So this is also the first one, uh, first Cure record that I'd listened to all the way through, uh, albeit uh, several years after you did the same thing. Uh, and I, I liked it. And I think pornography is okay, uh, but I like this integration better. Of all the bands that I, I just hate, kind of hated out of hand in high school, uh, The Cure has been the one that surprised me the most and how much I actually like a lot of what they do. Uh, so that's how, how I discovered them, which then means we're going to bump on into our track by track analysis. Uh, and since this is your choice, uh, so obviously anybody who uh, was listening before in season one, uh, Derek and I spoke about Leonard Cohen's Songs of Love and Hate, which was my choice. And this is his choice. So song one, side one, plain song. What do you think about this one, Derek? I love it. I love it as an opener to the album. It um, it feels like it could open a concert. The way it musically comes in so quietly, just those bells that almost sound like they're in the distance. If 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 you don't have the volume up enough, you might not even hear them. And then it just booms into this orchestral noise. You can picture a concert starting like that, sort of the buzz of the crowd, and then there's this gentle kind of sound maybe some of them hear it maybe some of them don't and then this incredible wall of music just crashes in and everyone everyone turns to the stage and the song begins i i think it's a it's it's such a great opener to an album and the song itself It also does a good job of setting up the story. There are two people in it. They're having a conversation that doesn't necessarily sound like it's about much because it, it's a kind of about the weather, but then it's about age and pain and how long they've known each other, maybe. There's a lot of depth to the lyrics, and it really kind of pulls you into this idea of this dialogue between two people. And in some ways, it's cinematically, it feels like the opening scene of the movie, but it's the end of the story when these people are old. And now we're going to go back into their story and find out more about them. So I really love it as an opener. It really sets up the album for me. This is one of the albums that I have to listen to as it is. I don't jump around. I don't shuffle, I don't listen to it without, um, you know, just cherry picking a couple of songs. Uh, I listen to it as it came out on vinyl and is a fantastic way to bring me into it. 
I really feel like this is a blueprint opener. It, it really sets up what you're going to hear. So I think the the guitar sound, uh, the the vocal stylings. You know, there's a few exceptions. Obviously, it's not you know a cookie cutter, but I think you know what to expect from the rest of the album. And I love that intro. Like you said, it's it's silence, and then I like to think sparkle. It takes its time. It it's languid for an opener, um, and I think that's something that you see repeated on this album. I'm not sure how long this one is, but it's you know all it it takes its time and it lets you know what's happening. And I'm not a a big lyric guy, so I've never really caught on to the lyrics uh, for this particular song. Uh, as many times as I've li- I, I could probably sing along if you put it on right now, but right now I cannot think of a single word <laughs> that's in this one. <laughs> it's just, I, I like how it just conveys more, you know, it, just the, the way it conveys emotion as opposed to what maybe the actual story is to the song. It's a, it's a good one. And I think it's a, it's a terrific opener uh, for this record. It's interesting that you're not a lyrics person because I so am a lyrics person. And I think when you and I connect around music, it's from two very different perspectives. I don't think I could have connected with disintegration unless I was connecting with it at a a lyrical level. It spoke to me so much. And maybe when I heard some of their earlier songs, I wasn't focusing on the words and I didn't see how it related to me or I wasn't ready for it to relate to me. But if you're ever so inclined, take the time to listen to the lyrics on each song because there's a, a, an incredible depth to them. It's a very mature record um, and it's a very mature piece of storytelling. So I highly recommend it. I will do that. And with, uh, you know, let's say moving on to track two, Pictures of You. Now, this is one that obviously is, is one of the singles. And I think a, a very successful song for them. And it is one that I have actually listened to the lyrics. I have picked up on some of that. Uh, I think this song picks up the pace just a bit. So it's not quite as languid as plain song, uh, but it does have that similar sounding guitar. Uh, and it finds that space that makes a seven minute long song go by much quicker. Uh, I had talked about on another podcast that a lot of times when a song is, is this long, there's a couple of different ways a song can be six plus six, seven, eight minutes long. Uh, it can be like the Metallica style where it's almost like um, different kinds of suites, like in almost like a classical music way. Uh, and other times there are songs where they, it goes through a lot of different styles within one song. Like you'd see like Paul McCartney loves to do. Uh, or, you know, it came from uh, Elton John uh, with his Indian Sunset which is like a six minute, 50 second song, but it has like three distinct parts to it. Whereas this one is long, but it, it doesn't feel like it because it doesn't have that, oh, here's this type of approach or here's that type of an approach. Uh, and I really, I do like the lyrics in this one and the, you know, I've been looking at these pictures of you so, for so long that I almost believe you're real or, you know, which I know it's not the exact one because again, I'm not a lyrics guy, but I can see why this was, uh, I can see why this was a hit. And uh, what did you think about it? I, I actually teared up the first time that I heard this song. It moved me incredibly. This was around the time that I was really realizing I'm not going to grow up like the boys I go to school with. 
realizing that I was queer, realizing that I was always going to be different, that I wasn't connecting with their world at all. And it's also the time that I started looking to see, because I didn't know any queer people. This was Ireland, <laughs> 1989 Ireland. It was still... Oh, in- yeah, they- they hadn't been invented yet, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, they'd been invented. They'd just been made illegal. <laughs> I mean, it was still, I don't know whether it was a misdemeanor or a crime, but it was still illegal to be gay, effectively, in Ireland. So crazy. And it wasn't taught. It wasn't talked about. I'm Irish. I went to an Irish school. We didn't even learn about Oscar Wilde because you couldn't learn about someone that depraved in school instead we were stuck with bloody wb eights um so the this desperation to find was there anyone in the world like me because i wasn't like these guys but maybe there were other people like me there was there was nothing on television that i saw and this song there was something about it that just said you can be queer it's okay because it's real and the whole album has that thread running through it and it's specifically the second verse the remembering you standing quiet in the rain i ran to your heart to be near and we kissed as the sky fell in holding you close that image just that feeling there's no there's no gender constraint on that. There's no sense of this being a man and a woman, two men, two women, non-binary people, gender fluid. It's just completely open. And then it comes into this moment where the, the other person is running through the night and described as bigger and brighter and wider than snow. You screamed at the make-believe, screamed at the sky, and finally found all your courage to let it all go. And that let it all go just felt like someone screaming their truth to the world. So this song honestly moved me to tears. I, and still can. I, I, it's... It's funny you mention the length of it. I never noticed the length of it. It just feels like it's perfect. Plain song finishes, pictures of you starts, and it just carries through in this incredibly emotional picture of these people trying to find love within each other and then losing each other and just having these pictures that might be photos, they might be memories, they might be drawings whatever they are but for me it was this picture of this queer relationship and I thought maybe they exist I was honestly surprised when I found out that Robert Smith was married to a woman did not identify as queer and on top of that was his high school sweetheart he'd been with like basically his whole life and i'm like how does this person keep writing about loss and breakup when he when he's been in this stable relationship how is he not like a tragic queer figure (laughs) i know (laughs) it's like he's he's the you know the the tragic queer figure the sad man professionally 
Uh, and but you know, personally, like you said, I, I I found that amazing as well. And it's like you know, not not just that he's happily married, but you know, really to his high school sweetheart. Come on, come on. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, and so uh, you know, th- not to kind of backtrack on that as well, but th- you know, the, the fact that that seven minutes doesn't doesn't feel like it is is pretty amazing. I think says a lot about this song. I'm curious uh, because I would have never read a queer relationship into this song. Have you talked to other people? Do you have other people had that same experience as you with this song? I haven't specifically kind of talked to people about this song in that way other than talking to people in that oh songs that you that let you know you were okay and then people just fire off different songs and i i'd say pictures of you by the cure and someone might go oh yeah but it was never an in-depth conversation it was just a passing moment Mm -hmm. love song though which we'll come to that is one where other people have gone, oh, yeah, I totally saw that as a queer moment. Okay. Um, All right, then we'll, we'll, we'll save that conversation for, uh, for that song. So we'll move on now to track three, Close Down. What are your thoughts here? Close Down is, it, the lyrics in Close Down are so slight. It's the, it's the shortest song lyrically. Um, it, it's it's well over four minutes musically, but there's just maybe eight or nine lines to it. So it's, it's, it's a very kind of short song, but the mood of it is perfect. If you imagine this 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 person who's remembering maybe the end of something or feeling like it's the end of the world, and then they're going back through their memories or their photos of this lost relationship lost love and then they kind of close their eyes and they're just easing back into those memories this song is that that sensation it's that sensation of closing your eyes there's something about ending in it but there's also something about love in it 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 has that if it was a visual, it would be the visual of someone going into a flashback. And so it's a perfect bridge from the memories of Pictures of You to the next song. And I like how bassy the song is. And you can tell I know a lot about music with my uh, real musical vocabulary like bassy. I, I just like how, how rhythmic and bassy and deep that song sounds because it, it contrasts for me with, with pictures of you. So I think it's a great bridge to the, to the rest of the album. You know, don't worry, because I talk about all the time how I don't have any real um, musical knowledge as far as how, you know, what instruments are being played or that kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I, I use the, like, I just make shit up all the time. So uh, Basie is perfect. I'll, I'm going to steal that one. Because uh, uh, I think this one really continues down the, the same path as one and two. I think it, it, it hits that same kind of guitar sound. Uh, here's where it gets, I think it's a little bit same samey, though the the bass in this is is really great. And it, and it does show... Uh, it reminds you that these guys were at least initially a post-punk band because I find so much of post-punk is driven by the bass. And while they 
weren't exactly, you know, it's obviously hard to, to classify them because, you know, sometimes they're kind of goth rock and sometimes they were, they were post-punk and sometimes they were just, you know, I think even poppy at certain points. So I, I, I like the song. I just, I don't have a lot to say about the song because it just feels like all a part, uh, like those first three songs really kind of play through for me in the, in a good way. Cause I just think that they, they really have a very similar approach. They're different enough there. I think there's a different focus. Uh, but you can definitely tell you're listening to the same album. Like if you just just plays close down for somebody, I think you. Oh yeah, this is definitely from that album kind of thing because it just has right. that sound. Right. Absolutely. So with a uh, track four, love song. Now the funny thing about this is this song brings me back to the mid '90s as opposed to the late '80s because of the '80s nights that were popular at the time. So this is one that got a ton of play. So when we would go out on a you know Friday or Saturday night, uh, it really wasn't that unusual um, for like the dance clubs to like because we would go to like kind of alternative dance clubs, and a lot of them would do uh, an eighties night. A lot of times on a Sunday night, right? You know, let's say ninety four, ninety five, ninety six. That was pretty big. So instead of being reminded of eighty nine because I wasn't listening to this album eighty nine, this really reminds me of ninety five. <laughs> <laughs> and this is uh, another i think this was a single as well if i remember correctly yep. and uh, uh, i think pretty big for them and i'm gonna i'm gonna secede the floor to you here my friend what do you have to say about this one everything <laughs> <laughs> um this is it, it's so rare and so powerful to have a love song that doesn't shy away from the whole kind of continuity con continuum of love um you can listen to this song as someone who is in love in a relationship who is loved and who is singing it to the person very directly very openly very raw or you can read it as someone who is remembering a love that they've lost uh, because the I will always love you at the end can be them accepting the ending of love. It, it can be at any point. It can be unreciprocated because it's all one person saying how the they love how the other person makes them feel, but it doesn't speak about the other person's emotions. And it, it just has, it has that ability for people in all sorts of phases of their love to find themselves in it. But it's also incredibly rare because it doesn't gender the object of affection in any way. And again, as a queer kid growing up, that was such a, like, I, I, I couldn't find songs like that, that didn't have something that just told you, this is a man singing to a woman, this is a woman singing to a man. And so I, I, I just really connected with it. And I know other queer people who've also said, oh God, yes, that was my love song. That was my my vision of what love should feel like. That was the one that I sang in my head. Obviously, I knew a lot of gothy alternative queer people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, it's very, 
it's probably very complicated, but it sounds musically very simple. And after the orchestral grandiosity of the first three tracks to come into this very simple song that just becomes about the emotion, I just think it's such a powerful moment of saying, we've brought you into this story and now we're bringing you through it. This is what love feels like. This is what you feel like when you love. And maybe we're going to take it away from you later in the album because we already know that the end of the story is just having memories and feeling like it's the end of the world. So, But now we're going to make you feel like this is what love feels like. I think that this, more than any other song that Robert Smith has written, I imagine this is how he feels about Mary Poole, his high school sweetheart, now wife. I imagine that this is the song that is the closest to the emotion that he feels for her. Just because of how I've, I've heard him sing it in concert and it's, it's, it's real. It feels real. And yeah, it is such a beautiful song. Uh, And these are one of the things I, one of the things I really love about doing the show is stories like that where you just told with love song because I would have never picked up on the fact that it wasn't gendered. It's just something that for whatever, you know, it would have never occurred to me because I didn't, I didn't need to seek out songs like you would have needed to seek out songs at the time. Right. Uh, and, and I love that. And there's times where other people's interpretation of the song it could be completely different or even they recognize that okay the song's really kind of singing about this but what i got out of it was this because xyz was happening in my life and i love that i love that so much about how music can transcend or be so powerful uh in in certain ways and just got it that's what i love the, i love the song i love the, i love the show and i love you for telling that story man so <laughs> uh it's just yeah this is this is what i really love about doing the show uh before i get all choked up we're gonna move on to your favorite song on the album track five last dance this is i should mention not on the vinyl edition <laughs> you know how i feel about this one <laughs> I do. Uh, I set you up for that one to to spill a little vitriol. Let's hear it. I hate this song with a passion and a vengeance. And it doesn't belong on the album. And that's what my issue with it is. If I had just heard this as a B-side somewhere, I might have found something different in it. Although the lyrics are really creepy. So that's a whole other issue I have with it. Last Dance isn't on the vinyl. I discovered Disintegration and listened to it for a few years on vinyl. So this song wasn't even on my radar. And then when I was moving internationally and I couldn't bring my record collection with me, I ended up picking Disintegration up on CD wow, there's two extra tracks. Wow, neither of them belong on this album. What were they thinking? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Last Dance, you come out of 
love song with this incredible, raw, beautiful emotion and the natural next songs to that are ones that either would continue that emotion or ones that would twist it in into a darker place, which is what Lullaby does. And that transition really works. But Last Dance, musically, it doesn't fit between these two songs. There's just something about it that's too... I don't know. There's something jangly about the music for Last Dance. It it, it sounds too hollow and, and echoey. And then lyrically, it's just after love song you're going to go to this song this immediately go to this emotion of someone i knew years ago and or someone i've just broken up with or something like that it just doesn't make sense and the line a woman now standing where once there was only a girl is so wrong and they keep repeating <laughs> it and it's just not it's not right um, because it implies that when they were together, she was a girl. And referring to someone as a girl suggests an age difference. And now she's a woman and he's no longer interested in her. And because this was my queer album, I didn't need this gendered, heteronormative bullshit in the middle of my record. So I fucking love this record and i fucking hate this song and i've only heard this album with this song because i bought it on cd what i the only thing i really like about this uh, this song is the sense of space that you get i know you didn't particularly care for it but one of the things i like about this record is that sense of space that you get that you can really hear the it feels like you can feel where the instruments are and this came out before, you know, everything was just like all the sound was kind of like what they call bricked, you know, because uh, if you were to put the the wave file, it would just all looks it's all exactly the same. But with this album, you can feel that space. And I like the space in this song. But now after hearing how much you hate this song, I really want to I want to track this down on vinyl because I've only seen it on double vinyl with this song included. <laughs> so I want to find the original vinyl and listen to it that way because I, you know, I, I do love this record, but I don't have anything either for or against this particular song because it's always been a part of my experience with this album. I'm sorry it's, to hear that. Yeah. It's just it, one of those things. Poor me. You poor, missed poor me. out. <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, or now I can listen to it and not absolutely seethe with hatred at it. So there's that. I have that going for me. Uh, I can just go on to the next song, which we're going to do right now. We're going to go on to Lullaby. And man, I love this song. I just, I fucking love this song. The guitar is just evocative. The rhythms are tailor-made for goth girls to dance slow, but not slow dance. Other than the use of Spider-Man, which sometimes throws me off a little bit. Uh, I just, I love the way he sings this song. I love the lyrics in this song. I even like the weird slurping noise that he makes in this song. This is just such a, I, it's, this is great. I, I love this. And I know it's, I, I don't know if this was actually a single or not. I know this is one of those songs, maybe I guess you're supposed to love or whatever, but I don't care because I just, 
I could just listen to this song five times in a row, and I probably have. Now, okay, getting rid of Last Dance, going, you know, skipping right to Lullaby. What are your thoughts on this one? I mean, I I totally agree with you. It's it's a really really great song. Um, it's interesting. It's not. It doesn't seem on the surface to be about love or relationships. It um, it kind of feels like it's about sickness, like someone who has a fever and they're they're lying in those sticky sheets covered in that thin sweat and 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 struggling through the night of nightmares or someone who's beset by some kind of night terrors or someone who is awake in the small hours struggling with a lot of emotion and because it has those multiple interpretations it can stand alone which it did it was the first single off the album Oh, okay. uh, in the UK, at least, I don't know. I don't know if it was the first sing- single in in the US, but it was definitely the first one in the UK. So it it can work as a single, but on the album, for me, it has that. When you come off of Love Song, and those first chords of Lullaby kind of come in, and that um, very evocative sensation with the lyrics and the music of nighttime and that stress of being awake at night and struggling with your thoughts and struggling with your emotions as if there's things in the corner of the room it i it really works for me it's interesting you mentioned the spider-man thing because of course as an american that would have been a very direct and immediate association because he was very present for you i would imagine and mm-hmm. like oh yeah comic book stores and 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 i mean even on the on the newsstand and things and lunch boxes yeah well but, you know spider-man is like even if you weren't into comics and this is before the movies came out you know if, if you were just to talk to somebody who never read a single comic book in their entire life they could name Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man. You know, that's just, and obviously they're in both DC and Marvel, but uh, yeah, so just that that part of it. And, you know, anybody in America just, and obviously now it's a different story, but even in, in 1989, a non-comic book fan would have known Spider-Man. And I don't necessarily know that that would have been true in Ireland, possibly in the UK, because I think Marvel reprinted stuff in the uk um and i think the bbc had the 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 spider-man cartoon on but ireland we didn't always get the bbc it wasn't something you had in the whole country so i never had that association and i'm actually a big comic book nerd now but i i never had the 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 association with spider-man it was the the spider-man and it was a really creepy image and the video is so good (laughs) it's so good if you if you've never seen it track it down because it really really works that slurping sound (laughs) (laughs) no I've, i've never seen it and it's funny you mentioned how there are those different interpretations 
because I did include this on a mix that I made for my sister. I found a bunch of songs that I thought could be about vampires, even though they probably aren't. <laughs> and this is one that I included where the, the Spider-Man was more of a, a vampire. And this can obviously also be the uh, obsession. I think that that's one, that's another one, you know, to fit in with this theme of, of the different types of love here where, you know, you're so all consumed by this one person who may or may not return those feelings, but because, you know, it's you and you're alone and your thoughts are so consumed with this person that it feels like they're literally, you know, eating you, even though they may not know your name. Mm, I like that. That's that's a smart interpretation of it as well. I like that. It builds on that that idea of wrestling with emotions in the night. Which, you know, goes into that same, because it's that same, the, the sickness or the night terrors or, or any of those things that uh, can, can be brought on by, by this extreme emotion. So I, I, it's just such a, I think it's such a great song. I love this song so much. Track seven, Fascination Street. What do you think here? It's great. It, it, the, the way it almost sounds like a siren or um, feedback like that, that noisy aggressive opening to it um it starts so immediately with that that sound where all the songs up until this point they had either this orchestral or very simple instrumental this doesn't mess about this is not about instruments this is feedback and bass and noise because you're going into a club it's late at night, you can't sleep, you're leaving your house, you go to this club where you don't actually want to connect with anyone. It's not about talking to them. Um, it's all about this physicality, this, you know, cut the conversation, get out for a bit. Uh, if you open your mouth, then I can't be responsible for quite what goes in. It's it's very sexual. It's very aggressive. It's very um, thoughtless uh, in a in a kind of a dehumanizing way. But it also has a couple of things that are very queer to it. Um, like a lot of this album, there's this line: um, "Just pull on your hair. Just pull on your pout." And it's repeated, just pull on your face, pull on your feet. And this idea of just like pulling on this identity. Um, if you're queer, you often feel like you're, you're, you're putting on a face for the world. You're putting on a, an identity for the world. You're putting on a, a, a look for the world. But also when you go out into a purely queer space, if we imagine fascination street to be the castro or uh canal street or in manchester or something like that if if we imagine it that way then it's like pulling on your hair it almost sounds like the drag queens getting ready um pulling on your feet like putting on those best shoes or footwear or whatever you have to kind of show off your your status within this thing 
So it's a very aggressively hedonistic kind of an image. And that was certainly something that um, I didn't, at 15, 16 years old, I didn't understand why I liked this song. And it wasn't until I was 18, 19 and discovering what a club could be that I was like, oh, that that's what it's about. <laughs> so that noise that at the beginning, like the feedback or whatever, I like to think of that as the bats flying sound. <laughs> Your vampire uh, it, theme? <laughs> maybe, yeah, because it... it there's a very similar sound that's uh, that leads off Concrete Blonde's bloodletting. It's almost the same sound, and it just you know it could be like from a Scooby Doo cartoon more or less. But uh, you know, just uh, that that that's what I that's how I have it listed here is bats flying because you know that's my, my my musical vocabulary. But I also I love the urgency of this song. I just and how it's driven by the bass line, and it goes back to the earlier sound of the record. Uh, so like it, this, I think has a similar sound to those first three, uh, but it has a pace and some energy that the other ones lacked. Uh, and this was another great one to hear in the, in the club. It's, it's kind of one of those songs about the club to be played in the club. And this one works, this one works great with those, you know, proper speakers and a, and a, and a sweaty dance floor. Uh, even just with that line, you know, move to the beat, uh, you know, which is, something you could almost hear in a Madonna song, but I think it just has all those other elements that you had mentioned before. And, and I just, I, I really love this song as well. This is such a great, uh, such a great way to, to finish side one. Indeed. So that brings us to the end of side one of disintegration by the cure on. I fucking love this record with my special guest, Derek Victor. Uh, now, I mentioned at the top of the show that uh, you do a blog called partnerandally.com. Uh, what can you tell us? Uh, what can you tell my audience about that? Uh, Partner and Ally was something that I found I started doing because my partner, Veronica Victor, is a trans woman um, and I am a disabled man. And together we are each other's partners but because we're also members of communities that are often marginalized and vulnerable we're also each other's allies i consider myself a trans ally she considers herself uh, an ally to any kind of disabled rights and the blog was an attempt to look at how the two of us um, can be good partners to each other and good allies to each other as we we go through life. Um, and it was particularly when when Veronica started her social transition that I I realized I wanted to put this out there, whether because it would help someone else or um, serve as an example of allyship or partnership. I, I just I wanted to put that out in the world. Um, and the blog was going on really well. And if anyone has visited it recently, they'll notice it's been on hiatus for quite some time. About August last year, I realized that I needed to step away from it for a while. 
Um, I am going back to it. I'm I'm planning um, this weekend. I'm planning to get back into it. I've been working on some material for it for a while. But the reason that I, I stepped away from it was actually for my own mental health. When I started it, I thought that part of the allyship would also be collecting news stories about trans issues and disability issues and non-binary and gender fluid issues. So essentially stories that affected either the non-cisgender community or the non-able-bodied community. I found that it was actually starting to eat in at me and get under my skin because a lot of the trans prejudice and, and, and trans exclusion that was going on in the United States and the United Kingdom and the medical situation with trans people not getting access to the, 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 the care they genuinely and desperately need and the, the incredible uh, level of, of hatred and bullying and trolling and doxing and, and murder and violence being done to the trans community it just became too much and it wasn't like the news on the disability side of things was particularly rosy or gave me any balance i i was not cut out for being that kind of journalist who's going out and finding these stories and 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 reporting them or retelling them and it actually really got in at me. So I needed to give the blog a hiatus, really think about what I wanted to do with it and come back to it fresh as something personal rather than something that tried to go beyond being personal. Um, it can be very hard as a member of any vulnerable or marginalized community to deal with the news. I think it can be hard for anyone. I mean, I think it could be hard for cisgender, white, heterosexual people also to deal with the news because the news can be very affecting on so many levels. But this felt very personal and seeing trans people attacked online felt very personal and I just needed to back out of it. But I'm ready to go back into the blog. So it's partner hyphen and hyphen ally.com and uh there is a bunch of posts up there and there will be a bunch more coming soon well that's great to hear and i love the the cartoon not to belittle the writing because the writing is, is obviously great but uh just uh, your, your cartooning style was was a lot of uh, was a lot of fun i mean it's it's fairly um i don't want to say simplistic but uh, it's kind of to the point, and I think there was some some good stuff, and I thought it, it was a a great illustration of the points that you were trying to make. And you've posted up on Twitter a couple of times some some stuff that you drew when you were a kid. So I saw the the comic book uh, that you did, and there was people flying, and your favorite villain was the tornado. Yes, because it was a dribble. <laughs> yeah, you know that kind of thing. So obviously. Uh, you know, art is something that you've used to express yourself for a long time, and and I just enjoyed uh, that aspect as well. Uh, the the blog was was a was a good read, and and the cartoons were great. So I hope they return as well. Thank you. They will. They will. Excellent. Okay, and now we're going to hear a word from one of our friends. Hi everyone. 
Matthew and Kyle here from Audio Judo. You ever wonder why certain songs get stuck in your head and you can't get them out? There's an answer. It's science. Were you ever curious about why Pink Floyd broke up? Or maybe you're interested in finding new music or bands. Then Then we're we're the podcast for you. Audio Judo, podcast of music discovery. www.audiojudo.com Or wherever podcasts are podcast. And now, back to the show. Okay, so we're flipping the record over. Track eight, Prayers for Rain. Uh, This one, I think, starts off with a different guitar sound. And he sings with a different cadence. Uh, this is a song that just, in a, in, and I'm hoping I have that right, that because it, you know, counting it up, it seems like we have you know, seven tracks on side one and only five tracks on side two. But I know uh, our our next song is pretty long, so um, this it, it just feels this feels very different for the rest of the record. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? I like prayers for rain. I think it does a very good job after the. Uh, the memories and love and the nighttime struggles and hedonistic partying kind of has all been done. So this person has gone through this emotional journey of um, of memory and love and, and, and struggle around it. The record ends and when you flip it, and it starts when you finally, after this long intro, that first, as you say, in a very different cadence, in a very almost guttural, gritted teeth, you shatter me. Your grip on me, a hold on me so dull it kills. This venom comes out of it. And this is someone who had sung with such pure emotion in love song but the relationship has soured those struggles in the night the going out and and giving yourself over to wild abandon and none of it has worked and now you're you're looking back at the relationship and it's just no this this is a toxic relationship i am praying for something to come and wash everything away and I think it's an it's an incredibly strong shift in the emotion of the record, but it's an honest shift. It works with the story they're telling. The guitar, the change in the guitar, the change in the way he's singing, just show you this is act two and terrible things have happened and things have gone wrong. And this is where we are now and we're trapped. And it does such a good job of of conveying that sense of being trapped. Uh, so track nine, uh, the same deep water as you. What do you think here? The rain has come and it's a flood. And, and, and it, it continues this theme of rain and water. It continues, the music continues to convey a sense of water. The lyrics... And the singing style continue to convey a sense of being trapped. Sometimes I'm listening to these two songs and I don't notice when one finishes and the other one begins. They kind of just run into each other uh, thematically and lyrically. It's also a take on a toxic relationship that someone can't get away from. 
um, the person wants to get out. It's kiss me goodbye, pushing out before I sleep. But swimming the same deep water as you is hard. And then there's the strange twist on the on the other person's face. And we shall be together and we shall be together. And this is his, I'm trying to get out of this relationship. I'm trying to kiss you goodbye, but I can't. And I'm just I'm stuck treading water because you want us to be together. And and it's just it's all gone wrong. And it just it fits so well. And again, I would point out like um those early lyrics, swimming in the same deep water as you is hard. The shallow drowned lose less than we, you breathe. That line could easily be she breathes, and that would gender the song. But the fact that, again, it's addressed to someone and it lets people put themselves in the lyrics and see whoever they need to see as the other person. You could even see this as a relationship between uh, siblings, between cousins, between child and parent. Because the kiss, there's nothing sexual about this song. The kiss me goodbye is like it could be on the forehead and then walk out of the room kind of thing. But but they're tied together in this deep water that's come down with the the rain that he'd prayed for has just caused a flood you talked about the space on the record. For me, this song gets incredibly claustrophobic, but I love it for that claustrophobia. I think it's so effective. And even just the title. So the same, because this could have been just called Deep Water and been a little more vague, but I love that the same deep water as you. Uh, and it did, you know, that, that entanglement and that thought of, you know, one of those things, anytime you, start taking swimming lessons or, or if you're doing any kind of, um, uh, first aid, you know, they always tell like, if you try to save someone from drowning, there's a good chance they're going to just take you down with them. And that's just one of those things. I think just growing up around water that I've always, that's something that's always kind of stuck with me, which is not to say that you shouldn't help somebody, but it's just the thought that they will take you down with them. And I think we've all been in a relationship uh, whether it is a, a romantic relationship or a familiar relationship or something where that person will fucking take you down with them. <laughs> you know, uh, I think the music goes back to mining the same vein as the opening of side one. I think it goes back to that same kind of similar sonic values. My only thing is, I think it's just, it's a bit too long. I mean, this song is nine minutes long and unlike our seven minute track earlier, uh, this one feels like a nine minute long song mm. and, and, and that's my, and you know, maybe they're, you know, going for that claustrophobia and, and really dragging it out. I'm sure that there, there's a lot of conscious decisions being made there. Um, you know, I don't always need every song to be a three minute pop single or anything, but I, I just felt like that the, the nine minutes just went on a little bit too long. I think I forgive the nine minutes because it feels so deliberate Sometimes when a song is long, it feels like, okay, that that guitar solo is just the lead guitarist masturbating and forcing us to watch or listen, as the case may be. <laughs> I am just like, you, you really didn't need two and a half minutes of that in that song. But 
this feels so deliberately claustrophobic. It feels so deliberately dragging the listener down into the deep water the same way that the the lovers are dragged down into the deep water or the the two people in this in this doomed toxic relationship i i just i get where you're coming from and certainly if if someone played me this song on its own i would be like is it over yet (laughs) 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 but within the context of the album it works for me yeah and i and again i I can see that and but i I think it's one of those all right so the the idea is to to put you into that same position and after a while it's like I don't want to be there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you're in a toxic relationship with Robert Smith. That's what you've discovered. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not even his high school sweetheart. <laughs> so track 10, we have the title track, Disintegration. You know, this is one that I, I don't have a whole lot to say. And I know I've said I'm not really a big lyrics person. Uh, but something about the, you know, oh, I'm... I miss the kiss of treachery, the aching kiss before I feed, the stench of a love for a younger meat. I don't know why that uh, is one that's just always kind of called out. Um, I don't, I don't really have a whole lot of notes on this one. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts here? Uh, it's a very, very powerful song. It's a scream coming from the gut. It just, it, it opens with this kind of crashing sound and it closes with a crashing sound. You feel like things are being broken, windows, furniture, glasses, whatever they are. Um, It's disintegration. It's things are falling apart. And as the things are falling apart, the person is just letting everything go in this incredible scream and the whole song just feels like that um, anger and fear and all of those emotions that just blend together in a in a nasty vomit of of rage at the helpless helplessness of it all. I really find it a a very powerful song and because it comes after that dragged out drowning that we've just been put through and it takes the tempo up so powerfully and so intensely i i just i find it a really um a really really powerful song it has interesting callbacks to other songs uh it refers back to um memories and photographs i leave you with photographs pictures of trickery um the pictures of you that beautiful song from the first side has been twisted into i leave you with photographs but they're not real and it's kind of giving the answer to that moment how the end always is well the plain song was about i feel like it's the end of the world well the end is always bad it's always destroyed destroyed um any mention of love in this song that, that might call back to love song is twisted uh 
the power of the song calls back to Fascination Street, but it shows how it all just goes wrong. I know that around the time they were writing or recording Disintegration, Lawrence Tallhurst, who had been in the band since the beginning and who was one of Robert Smith's friends, closest friends at one point, was leaving the band because of alcohol abuse or substance abuse or both. I don't remember the details of it, and I certainly don't want to slander the man, but he um, he was having problems. It ended with him being ejected from the band. It must have been a difficult time for Robert Smith. And there's something about that things are falling apart emotion that I, I always wonder if that was part of the inspiration for this song. I've never looked into what inspired the song, but it's it's incredibly powerful. It ties a lot of the themes together in this this huge expression. And I really I it deserves the title track. It deserves to have named the whole album because it explains to you what it's all about. And I think it's really powerful. So that brings us to track 11, which also was not on the vinyl edition. Uh, so you got both of these uh, homesick. Uh, Derek, tell us. Yeah. What do you think about do, do you hate this one as much as you hate the other one? <laughs> I actually hate it more. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can't describe how much I loathe this song. Or maybe I can. Let me try. Um, <laughs> it's actually, I do know that this is the last song that Lawrence Tallhurst contributed to in the writing of the album. Um, I don't know what it was that he contributed to. Was it just music or was it also um, uh, writing the lyrics? It's unfortunate that if it this is his last contribution to The Cure, it is so misplaced by its inclusion at this point in the album. Because again, Disintegration has given us this incredible, huge emotion. And the logical follow-up to that is the last song on the album, which brings us back around to the emotions that started the album because you've you've released all of that rage and then you 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 come to that moment when you're spent but this is not the song of someone who's spent all their rage this is a trite seen it before heard it before how many times do we have to revisit the idea of someone drinking too much and not knowing how to get home afterwards because that's all this song is about is someone just one more and I'll walk away but I've forgotten to move and I'll never go home it's ugh <laughs> sorry it's just so trite and boring it doesn't it doesn't add anything to the canon of music it doesn't add anything special to this album it's a drunk needing to go home and it just has no place between the in the 
emotional songs that frame it. Again, when I heard the CD version for the first time after Last Dance, I was like, well, that was unfortunate. After Homesick, I was like, well, I'm never listening to this song again. And I did <laughs> until now. It's, it's a terrible, terrible song because of where it is. Again, if it was just a B-side somewhere, maybe it would have worked, but not here. The only thing I really got from this one, other because I also read somewhere that this was the you know Lawrence Tolhurst's last contribution, and you know the one more before I walk away. I wonder if that's the only reason why this song was included because of that line, uh, you know, to open it up. You know, so last song, and then he walks away from the band. I don't know, but this is the first time I can recall hearing the piano on this album, and. I'm sure it's been there before, but I think this is the first time where it feels like a, a featured instrument. Uh, and again, this is one that this has always been a part of, of my listening. So I don't have any thoughts really for or against it. I don't think this is a particularly good song. I don't find it to be a particularly bad song, but uh, I really want to, again, revisit or want to visit the this album as it should be. So I'm thinking about making a playlist just on spotify and getting rid of those two songs and seeing how i feel about this record without them uh is something i will i will probably do in the very near future uh now that i've done listening to it for homework and can now just listen for pleasure so uh <laughs> that brings us on to our final track untitled unfortunately the only note that i have here is accordion <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I it's a lot of the things like, you know, we, we spoke a little bit earlier about how I don't neither of us play an instrument. Uh, I don't have any kind of, tech, you know, I've never produced a record or, or whatever. Uh, and this is an album that I spent a lot of time avoiding as, as a kid. And then I spent some time listening to as an adult and it's an album that I, I like very much i just don't have a ton to say about this this last one it's not that you know there's sometimes where that last track will really just stick with you either because you know i love a i love a slow closer or sometimes they'll surprise you and they'll go out with this like real bang and i just i have a accordion mm. so you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to walk us out here derek I, I think this is this is a perfect illustration of why the seven and a half minutes of homesick is a mistake on this album. Because when you finish the crashing disintegration and then there's this moment of pause and then that accordion noise comes in to start untitled. And the lyrics start hopelessly adrift in the eyes of the ghost again, down on my knees and my hands in the air again, pushing my face in the memory of you again, but I never know if it's real. All of that rage has just spewed out of the person, almost uncontrolled, and they've vented to the point where they can't even stand and they're the accordion is almost like they're uneven breathing and they're 
sobbing maybe as they as they as they they don't have anything left to give but they just have that kind of <sighs> shuddering breath <laughs> yeah and then that pushing my face in the memory of you again but i never know if it's real looking so long at these pictures of you it it echoes pictures of you by i never know if it's real which was the the pictures of you i don't know if they're real and pushing my face in your memory i don't know if it's real and it connects everything up again and it loops everything back around in such a beautiful way it talks about never losing this pain i'll never dream of you again everything's fallen apart the relationship is over this is the moment that it's over it's the end of the movie we saw the first scene where it was already over we saw the first scene where the person's just looking at the pictures and the memories and now we've gone through the journey of this beautiful love twisted up in the night turned toxic blown apart completely destructively and now there's the regret and the melancholy because no matter why a relationship ends we always mourn it even even toxic relationships there's something in humanity that we mourn them and that's what this this song shows it's that that moment of mourning even though that it was toxic and you wanted out of it I think it's a beautiful cap to the album. I think it works incredibly well and it plays out just with those fading kind of all the instruments fall away until there's just one left and then it's over. Um, honestly, if, if Homesick isn't there, Untitled is very powerful. But if Homesick is there, Untitled gets its wings cut and it doesn't have anywhere to go because you've just dragged yourself through the mire already and slowed everything down. So, yeah, I think it's great on the vinyl. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to revisit this record in the the streamlined 10 tracks and and see how I feel about it cuz I don't have anything against that final song. It's just uh, but I I can see what you're saying, you know, cuz you know, Homesick is just so long. Uh, anyway, so let's go ahead and move on to our, our final thoughts. It's an incredible album. It's an incredible achievement, lyrically, musically. It deserves its place of being fondly and well-remembered by so many people. It deserved its the attention that it got at the time. Um, it does an incredible job of telling emotional stories whether you take them as multiple stories or a single story and it was somewhere that a young queer kid could find his footing in in a world that that just didn't have a place for him so i will always love this record and i came into this one much later and what i like this is an album that's not in a hurry uh, you know, typically you're waiting nearly two minutes for the vocals to come in. Just the other day, the last podcast I did was on a Bad Religion album, and very few songs went over the two-minute mark. 
uh, you know, eight tracks are over five minutes long. And as we talked, the longest is, is nine minutes. Uh, I think it has a fairly cohesive sound. In, even when the songs sound a little bit different, you, you feel like you're, you're listening to the same record. Uh, and for somebody who would have just as a knee-jerk reaction told you he hated The Cure in 1989, uh, I'm really glad that this is the first album that caught me. Because I've listened, in the meantime, I've listened to uh, some of their stuff, and, and I, I do appreciate what they're doing. Uh, but this is the only, I think this is the only CD by them that I own. Now, I think I own pornography, I'm sorry. But, you know, for the most part, if um, it's a brave man who'll admit that on a podcast that his wife listens to. <laughs> she doesn't listen. Uh, anyway, uh, so I just uh, I, I really do. I don't you know, this was your choice. So this was not an album that I had included in my initial thing uh, uh, of albums to cover. But I'm glad you chose this one because I do really, really like this record. And it was fun going back and listening to it with a, with a critical ear to the best of my ability, just seeing how similar our stories are superficially and how really different they are in reality. And it's been great revisiting this album with you. And likewise, thank you for the opportunity. I've really enjoyed talking about it and revisiting all those memories. So, uh, Derek, where can the people find you? So other than Partner and Ally, which we gave them earlier. So if they want to follow you on a more day-to-day uh, basis, uh, are you still, uh, you're, you're still participating in the, in the Twitter sphere. Is that correct? I am. So on Twitter, you'll find me um, uh, at Derek Handley. Derek Handley was my maiden name. And uh, on Instagram, Derek.Victor. So I encourage everybody to check those out. Uh, once again, thanks for recording this one more time several months later after I lost my half of it. It's uh, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you so and much likewise. for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record. If you would like to co-host an episode, contact me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. This and every episode can be found on my website, lovethisrecord.com. If you would like to follow us on Facebook, it's Love This Record. Twitter and Instagram, Love This Record 1. Music provided by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers. Please remember to subscribe, like, and review, and we'll see you next time. 